Hello everyone and welcome to another Let's Chat About Death episode. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Emma. We have been asked multiple questions and so today we're going to uh, take you through some of those. Um, and if you do have any questions, we'd really love to hear from you. That can be on our uh, socials, Facebook, Remember Brember Funerals, TikTok uh, is the same, Remember Brember Funerals, um, or any other, you know, direct messages or anything else like that if, you, if you're in the know with us. Um, so welcome, welcome Emma. Hello, it's, hello, uh, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yes, yes, yes. And that's why I married her. Exactly. <laughs> so um, we're going to go through, yeah, some questions that people have asked. And one of them uh, is what happens if someone passes away overseas? What do we do? Um, well, there's several, several ways that you can handle this. And one is that you can bury or cremate in that country of where that person has passed away, or you can repatriate, re re uh, repat, repat, or yeah, repat, uh, someone from that country back to uh, your country. So, for example, if someone was to pass away in New Zealand, um, they have a funeral director over there that then will repat that person uh, normally by air back to us, but there's certain procedures for each country of what they physically need to do to get that deceased back into that country. Some will be that you need um, the consulate to be involved or the embassy, uh, mostly, especially the faraway countries, the body needs to be fully embalmed and needs to be a certificate for that. But there also needs to be, um, normally from the coroners, coroner's court saying that there is no uh, issue in regards to uh, any infectious diseases or anything that can uh, like a biohazard or health hazard uh, through to that. Um, it's, it's, it's quite complex, but once you know the process, it's fairly easy. Uh, for example, if someone was, if we got contacted by someone that lived overseas or even a loved one here, uh, and we need to take them back to New Zealand or Samoa or Italy or US or anything else like that. Uh, what we tend to do is obviously do the transfer, then uh, get the medical cause of death form or the death certificate uh, that goes through the local um, birth, deaths and marriages registry. We also get that certificate of non-infectious disease. Or if the person does have an infectious disease, what is it and how is that going to affect uh, the other country? Um, once that has happened, then the uh, person is then placed into a coffin, um, but they normally go into a plastic bag um, that is uh, sealed to obviously keep um, that, that person fresh uh, rather than that it being open. Uh, in for the air, etc. For that, um, they are then placed into a uh, freight container um, or a wooden crate, I should say, uh, not a big forty-foot container. It's a little bit hard. Um, and then we have a freight country that uh, a freight company that we utilise 
um, that then we deliver the deceased there and then they organise, obviously, to go onto an airline across to that to that uh, location. For that to happen, they need to actually have someone over on the other side to be able to receive that person. It can't just be Joe Blog down the street that's got a ute. has to be either someone of authority or a funeral director or someone like that over there that is responsible for that. Because you could appreciate, you know, imagine... Imagine the body going across and it just being left at the airport. Mm. Um, it's like no one. It's like I'm here for a pickup. Yeah, no, yeah, no one's here to claim. Um, so it's yeah, it's important that you, that you have that process. Um, Is that similar, like if if you were to do interstate? No, interstate, um, we can actually do. I would I would highly recommend road transport, refrigerated road transport. Um, what can happen is if, if a body does pass away interstate or even here, we then do the transfer. We then organise an external third company, third party company that would do that. Um, they come to us or, or they deliver them from that state to us. Um, but they don't need to be embalmed. Um, I mean, the process can be anywhere between two to four days, mm-hmm. depending on whereabouts that, that is. Um, but they grab all the necessary paperwork that's needed. Um, they can actually be placed into a coffin and transported that way, but normally to keep the cost down, direct transfer from the place of death. If it's in a nursing home, we normally have to then um, activate another funeral home in that state mm-hmm. uh, or in that town to do the transfer, and then the uh, interstate transfer company can then go there because uh, that transport company could be you know, it could be 12 hours out um, and you don't want anyone sort of laying around. If they're in a hospital or a coroner's court, not a problem, straight there. Um, So the additional cost in regards to uh, removing someone from uh, a funeral home, um, you know, might be transferred. But families do have the choice. Like they can say I want them to choose the coffin and everything in one state and then get come down on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can, like, yeah. Um, you can place deceased people onto a plane as well, interstate. doesn't tend to happen too much now because it's fairly quick via road. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, very easy process to do it. A lot of the time if people have travel insurance, um, sounds a bit weird, like losing your luggage, really. Um, but some insurance companies actually do have that coverage for if someone passes away. Okay. So you can um, easily uh, claim through that if need be. Yeah. Uh, but that could take some time. So it might be easier to pay out first and then get it reimbursed when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have? We have a question in regards to where did the whole concept of giving flowers or having flowers um, at coffin or on coffins or at funerals came from. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. So wow. There's actually quite a few little different reasons as to why. I mean, obviously in this day and age, everyone can symbolise uh, flowers at a funeral as a sign of respect, giving sympathy to the family. It's quite common that families will receive, be inundated with, with uh, flowers delivered to their house and everything, just to add a respect for the person who's passed away, offering their condolences. Um, but interestingly, the actual thought of where flowers came from, it's actually not like that. What One thing I did discover, because I did a little bit of research into it, um, is because 
back in ancient Roman times, they actually used to place flowers and, and mementos, so like gifts and things like that, um, decorations around gravesides because they believed that the spirits were still actually around the grave and that way the, wow. that they knew that they were still being thought of, people still cared yep. about them and everything like that. So that was quite interesting. Um, ancient Greeks had another thought behind it. So they actually would place flowers to honour their fallen warriors um, and the thought was that if the flowers then took hold and started growing on their own, that meant that the warrior or the fallen warrior had actually found peace. Oh, wow. So that was a really nice thought about it. Um, the whole flower side of things being very common and, and a standard among on uh, funerals actually became more prominent after the end of the American Civil War when Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. And what happened was that all the... Well, all of the people in mm -hmm. America were so um, distraught by what had happened when he was being transported by train back to where his final resting place was. Lots of um, Americans were throwing flowers as a as a sign of respect, um, and then it just got to the point where, from there on, it was quite common that flowers would be especially around um, graves and and respect and showing people that they were still being thought of. So that was really interesting. Mm. Then, of course, there's the other reasons, which is quite common as to as actually resembles why flowers were around in the olden days for weddings as well. It was around the smell. Ah, oh, lovely. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's not the nice part of it, but no, it at least no. was a reason. Yeah. So, so they, oh, so the flowers were there if... To, to hide the BO or the, the or the smell of deceased or yes. oh yes juicy I know nice well you never knew well, what had happened really. so that, no that's yeah. fair enough too yeah that's fair enough too they oh, didn't well, have you, you know go. we didn't have so really the the so you know flowers may not even be on a on a coffin or at a funeral unless it was for those reasons exactly and some some religions now do not believe in flowers so you know it's mm. not something that's everywhere there you go mm -hmm. what else do we have we did have a question in regard to rigor mortis. Oh, yes. So we have been asked several times, and I think on one of the other podcasts we did it, but um, we have to deal with rigor mortis pretty much, well, on a daily basis, and it depends on what level uh, some people are at. Some people will have a, um, a heavier type of rigor mortis against someone that may have, uh, have less. Um, that makes sense. So rigor mortis... Uh, it refers to the uh, the stiffness of, of the muscles and joints of the person. And obviously this happens uh, at the time of death. Um, so normally this happens between one to four days. Now in my experience, normally when someone passes away, it can be a matter of minutes um, or it can be a matter of, of hours um, before someone shows signs of rigor mortis. Now what it actually is... Um, it's, uh, it's a reaction by, or the process by which the body's muscles stiffen, uh, resulting in it being rigid. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a variety of chemical changes in the muscle structure that, that makes rigor mortis. So if you think about it, if you've had a really hard session at the gym or you're running on the treadmill and all those type of things, and you're starting to get really breathless, 
um, and then all of a sudden your muscles start cramping up and you feel really bad. What that is, is your body's basically gone into like a starvation mode. So it's wanting uh, to fuel you um, and then it'll bring out like lactic acid and things like that. That um, That's the process of it. So um, not saying that you're going to turn into a deceased person if you do uh, all this sport, um, <laughs> but it just means it's the same type of thing. Lactic acid comes involved when you do sport. Uh, same, same with rigor mortis. Um, uh, it, it's uh, how we can, they call it breaking rigor mortis uh, or how we can move rigor mortis is by just gently manipulating their arms, legs, hands, head, whatever. It, it's, uh, it's like massaging it through, just a light massage. And the more that we start moving that, that limb, uh, the easier it becomes. Rigor mortis can come back, um, but not as severe. I'm not saying that every single person does that, um, but I have seen it. Um, so depending on the, on the body temperature, depending on the chemical changes that happens, um, all of those type of things will, will play part in, in rigor mortis. Um, it, uh, it actually sounds like a, an Xbox game you know, <laughs> or a, one of those, yeah, rigor, rigor mortis. Rigor mortis. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, I they're, they're, and, and look, there, there's some people that actually don't really get any, um, I don't know if they're lucky or not, but it's the, yeah, it, it, it comes down to each individual person. I couldn't even say that, you know, the next person that we get entrusted to is going to have it or not. It's, um, but it all just goes down to how long they've been, um, uh, passed for, um, yeah, what environment they're in what their process, chemical process, being on what medication they're on too. There's a lot of factors that come in into play with that. Um, what else can I say about it? Um, so it's not permanent. So when, you no, know, people used no. to always think, and I, I was one of them, that once rigor had set in, that was it. But it's not. No, 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 no. And look, it, it can also, um, it can also uh, bring out the bloating of the stomach. We see that quite often. Because um, there's numerous gases that are internal that normally we expel certain ways. Um, the it can also you know how the skin reacts um, to to bacteria because obviously internally our body controls our bacteria level, our gut and our bowel and all those type of things have certain enzymes and and special tools and acid that control that. When you pass away, the the gases and the bacteria and all the, and the acids and all that are saying, well, hang on, uh, this ain't normal. How can we change this? So um, it can happen that the body can decay very quickly. Uh, it can cause a lot of gas. It can cause all sorts of things. So with rigor mortis and all of that, so it's, in, it's probably important how I see it is that we get the person as soon as possible and then try to um, prepare that person and remove any of that uh, ahead of time mm -hmm. rather than them, which sometimes it's out of our control um, without it all happening. And then, you know, I have seen people nearly to the point of um, bursting um, with gas, uh, which isn't a good sight either. Um, if, you, if you can picture someone that is really um, about to give birth 
um, and their their stomach is distended and things like that. That's exactly what what someone's like when they've got gas buildup. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. That was a little bit on rigor mortis and and chemical and bloating and all sorts of things. So. Yeah, it's not simple when you pass away. No, no, definitely not. And that's mm. the whole point of the podcast. Like we're talking about things that are you wouldn't normally think of or yep. it could be something in the back of your mind you've never thought to ask. Yeah. Now we did have one last one and this was actually something that um, anyone who is a Monty Python fan would actually know this and then that's the yep. bring out your dead. Oh, yeah. So yeah. bring out your dead. Where did that come from? Because obviously if you've watched Monty Python, you know. Wasn't that when the they scene. rang the bell and bring out bring your out dead? Your and dead. Bring out your dead. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, It was a bit like this. <laughs> bring out your dead. Yes, bring out your dead. Oh, just throw a cow in there just for the sake of it. There so in the actual mm-hmm. movie itself where it, you Or know, movie. Be, I see what oh, you did no, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, it, there was, you know, the humour beside it. The yep. humour as to what it was. But what it actually came from is back the Black Plague, the bubonic plague back in the, I think, mm. 1400s. And, yeah, look, they were probably involved. Um, mm. <laughs> but didn't mosquitoes have something to do with that? No, I think it was rats. Oh. Well, I'm thinking of something Still else. Gross. Yeah. Um, but what it actually was was literally someone coming down the road in a cart yelling out, bring out your dead. And that way people knew, bring out the person and put them on the cart. Yeah. So, so you, you, you could be down the street and have like 20 or 30 bodies just they were pile, piling, up. piling on top of each other. And I guess it's like, you know, you imagine that person, no no personal protection, no nothing like that, no, no face masks like we nothing. have, you know, um, probably didn't even wash. All of those sort of like, oh, just the thought of it makes you cringe, doesn't it? But Yeah, and, and um, the Black Plague is... is the worst, I think, I mean, yeah. who knows with COVID, but, you know, back then there was the worst one and they literally would go down the road in their cart, people would bring out their flatmates, their housemates, a loved one, whatever, place them on the cart and that's it, they were gone. They were yeah. then taken to a mass grave and that was it. Mm. But that was where, the, you know, mm. Monty Python had some fun with it, but yeah. that is literally where that one has come from. What was the thing with people wearing black clothing? Wasn't that a, a big cultural thing? That was a big cultural thing. Plus also... Um, or with the veil, the black veil that used to yes, go over their head. Queen Victoria made that even more popular. And the idea was that the widow would wear black mm. um, for a certain period of time to show that she was in mourning. Um, but Queen Victoria kept it on for the rest of their life. So, you know, from why it, sta- it started, I think there's a few reasons. And it actually depends on the religion too. Oh, okay, yeah. Look, you, you see you see a lot of the Europeans, um, you know, yes. I think you know, on one of the other podcasts that we've done about people not always wearing black. I mean, they might wear a black suit, but they might have a really colourful tie, mm-hmm. um, things like that. It's all changed, but, you know, it's that, yeah, black meaning mourning. That, um, the veil, I, I thought, was about, so if the soul, it was sort of like it, it pushed evil spirits away. Like, or if that soul had passed away and then there was no way of it coming back. That's what I thought it was originally about. Um, but it is still quite quite common around that people still wear full black. Full, I mean, I've seen them with veils too. Yes. 
But again, it also depends on the country. So, for instance, India and China, it's traditional to wear white. Yeah, white. Yeah, white's big. Um, and uh, Indian Hindus will wear it because it's the colour of purity. Yep. Whereas, oh, they were, yeah, wear, wear yeah, white. Yep. Whereas in South Africa and Ghana, it's red. You often wear red to funerals. Okay. Um, and there are other countries that will wear purple. Yeah, that's not bad. Or yellow or blue. Yeah. So they all have their different reasons behind it. Yeah. And we may even do, um, as we go further into the podcast series, may even, you know, if anyone has any other questions about different cultures, because we will be doing a lot of things on different rituals Traditions. that happen. Um, They're fascinating. Of how they how they look after their uh, deceased. Um, to, yeah, so colours. Colours are very, very important, um, you know, to everyone, mm-hmm. I guess. It's, uh, you don't have to be the traditional black um. Yeah. It, it. It's quite. Also, it can be a request of someone. Yeah. They might well, say, right. "I want or, you all to wear pink." Or, or I don't want you colors. wearing sort of suits. I want you to wear casual gear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I remember hearing about someone who wore a t-shirt that said "Life be in it." Yeah. Yeah. Well. Fair, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. That's. Uh, that's. Yeah. That's a good one. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. I think. Um, that will do us for this episode. Mm-hmm. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. Uh, thank you, Emma. Thank you, Chris. Um, and uh, whatever you're doing, hope you enjoy the rest of that. Um, and yeah, please, please share, please share on, please come and like us on our socials. Um, love to hear from you. Uh, to get any questions that you may have, or yeah, any topics, because um what I think and what others think is going to be totally different. So um, thank you very much and we look forward to joining you next time.